Want to know how much money you need to retire? Silly question. Of course you do. We'll stick around and find out on this, the first episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Welcome to the Retirement Planning Education Podcast, where you can learn all about IRAs and Roth IRAs, employer retirement plans, taxes, Social Security, Medicare, Portfolio Withdrawal Strategies, Annuities, Estate Planning, and much more. And now here's your host, Andy Panko. Welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of the Retirement Planning Education Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm super glad you're here. Quick introduction. I'm your host, Andy Panko. I am the owner of a fee-only retirement planning and investment management firm named Tenon Financial in Metuchen, New Jersey. I'm also the moderator of the Facebook group, Taxes and Retirement. And I'm the guy behind the YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified. So I decided to start a podcast. I figured I do a lot of education and and practicing and speaking about tax-efficient retirement planning topics through the Facebook group, the YouTube channel, uh, newsletter that I have as well. So I kind of figured, why not do a podcast? I have all this content, all this info floating around in my head. I kind of say it, use it, show it in multiple ways throughout these other other venues. So, So why not? do a podcast. So here I am. Retirement Planning Education is the name of this podcast. For those of you who were familiar with me from the Facebook group, from working with me in my in my business, from the YouTube channel, this is going to look and feel very familiar, or at least it'll sound very familiar. I'm going to be discussing the same types of things, you know, in-depth overviews and analysis and discussions about all sorts of retirement planning topics, generally with a focus on the tax efficiency of things, trying to you know maximize the tax efficiency to the extent possible. So uh, hopefully you'll, you'll find this this, uh, this this venue enjoyable, educational, and so forth. Um, today's topic, I'm going to do a a big one. I'm going to figure. Let, let's get right to it. I'm going to discuss how much money you need to retire, or at least give you a framework to start to figure out how much money you may need to retire and live comfortably on. This is one of the, the, the probably the most common question people in or near retirement have, and, and rightfully so. And frankly, it's a really difficult question to answer. There is no single answer. There, there is no rule of thumb that you can live and die by, but it's an important question. And there's lots of other questions and things that go into it. You can't simply answer this question on its surface. There's there's no easy way around it other than doing the homework to answer other questions, of which I broke down. There's there's basically three. And if you answer those three questions, that'll help you determine how much money you need to retire. So with that said, any sort of rule of thumb you find, articles you read, uh, other podcasts you may hear that say you need X amount of dollars by the time you're 50, or you need to save at least you know 10 times your last year of wages, just rip it up and throw it out. Th- th- those are garbage. Sometimes they may coincidentally be the right answer, but those, those are not the, uh, the best way. They're far from the best way to try to answer the question, how much money do I need to retire? And everyone's situation is going to be different. As you'll see as we step through this, there's a lot of personal facts and circumstances that go into this that will dictate what the answer is for you. You know, the answer of how much money you need to retire is going to be different than the answer of uh, how much money your neighbor needs to retire, which is going to be different than the answer of how much your neighbor's friend needs to retire. Uh, you know, all, all this is going to be personalized. So I'm, I'm going to give you the construct to to attempt to, uh, you know, come up with the number, if you will, for how much you need to retire. So without further ado, let's get into it. As I mentioned, I, I broke it down into three questions that you, you sort of sub questions you have to answer first. The first question is, how long will I live? 
And ultimately, what this is getting at is how many years you anticipate your retirement will be. Assuming you do the sort of traditional retirement where you stop working at 60, maybe 65 or so, and assume you're going to live till 90, 95, perhaps, depending on your family history and so forth. Let's figure typical retirement about 30 years. Yours could be more, yours could be less, but that, that's at least a starting point. So now, if we knew our own mortality, this would be a really easy exercise to do. If you knew with precision, you know, at the age of 60, when exactly you're going to check out of this world, well, this is easy, this part. But it's not. You know, we don't know. Hopefully, we live long, happy, healthy lives. In reality, many of us don't. So how do you start to determine how long you think you may live? Well, there's, there's a few things you can do. Uh, two, first one is use your relatives as a proxy. So look at family history, you know, your parents, your aunts, your uncles, your siblings. Do they typically live well into their 80s, into their 90s? Or do they all, you know, pass this world kind of prematurely, all for the same underlying condition? If that's the case, then there's a real good chance, you know, you may follow suit, unfortunately. Or if everyone lives well into their 90s and healthy and, you know, people die from natural causes or freak things like accidents, then, then you can expect there's a good chance you may live into your 90s as well. So start with that. Start with family family history, you know, use them as a proxy. Or there's other ways. Uh, there's some are free, some you have to pay for. There's online calculators that can attempt to, to quantify uh, when you can reasonably expect to live until. I'm not specifically promoting this one. This is just one that I'm aware of that I know many people use called Living to 100. Uh, you can see the link in the show notes to this. You put in a lot of your own info and it'll give you sort of a you know, science and statistics-based answer when you can realistically expect uh, to, to leave this world. So that th- those two ways, family proxy and um, you know, li- online life expectancy calculators, how you can attempt to figure out how long you're going to live, which from that you can back into how long will, will your retirement be based on when you want to or, or plan on stopping work. So that's question one. Question two, how much total income will you need in each year of retirement? This is a tough one, and this will change, to be fair. A lot of these things, we're, we're making educated guesses. There, there's no way around it. Again, if you knew all these things with certainty, retirement planning would be easy. You'd be able to come up with a bulletproof, rock-solid plan, but there's lots of large variables that, uh, that we can't possibly predict um, 5, 10, 20 years out. So one of them is, is your expenses. This is question two. How much total income will you need in each year of retirement? Without knowing that, you're, you're really flying blind. You have no idea how much money you need or income you need if, if you don't try to map out what you think your expenses will be or, or what you want them to be. There's a few ways you can do it. There, there are budgeting tools out there. There's things like, uh, again, this is no specific endorsement, but apps and software like Quicken, like Mint, like Personal Capital, uh, financial planning software I use, eMoney has its own spending tracking thing. So these are uh, tools you, you link in your uh, connections to your bank accounts and um, credit card statements and so forth. And it'll pull in all those transactions. It'll help categorize them so you can collectively get all of your you know, line items of spending together. You can look at pretty graphs and charts and you know, pie charts and historical trends and things like that. So, so that's a great way to help uh, actually put pen to paper and map out how much have you been spending. That then could be a good starting off point for what you anticipate your expenses will be going forward if you don't already have you know, uh, historical spending and, and, and budgets well mapped out. Now, in retirement, things will be different, obviously. Your life will be different to some extent. You, know, you stop work. Um, you're going to do more of some things, do less of other things. Your, your taxes will be slightly different. So using your actual uh, you know, budget while you're working as a starting point, how can you sort of tweak that to come up with some reasonable guesses for what your expenses and therefore your income needs may be in retirement. Well, start with some of the main 
um, you know, ma- main expense items that you have and, and see how you think they may change once retirement starts. So let's start with housing, for example. If you plan on continuing to live in the same house here and now, well, your expenses are going to be largely the same. You know, maybe you have a mortgage. So the question is, do you pay it off? Do you not? But outside of that, you know what the property taxes are. You know what the utility costs are. You know, those things aren't going to change outside of uh, some sort of inflation increase over time. But what if you plan on uh, selling that house and moving to a different state or, you know, getting a second house, perhaps? Then you kind of have to do some some basic homework. How much do you think it's going to cost to buy the second place or how much you're going to save if you downsize to a smaller place and then adjust your expenses accordingly to account for those anticipated changes, you know, in, in your housing expenses. Healthcare. This, this is a big one, especially while you're working. You, you may not realize or appreciate uh, if you work for an employer that that provides uh, healthcare through them, how heavily subsidized that healthcare can often be. You know, the whatever amount you pay each month, each paycheck towards your your premiums for the health plan, chances are, especially at, at bigger, you know, large companies, they're paying much more on on your behalf towards that policy. So you don't really realize that the true cost of your health insurance while you're working. Again, if you work for a place that that provides uh, employer subsidized healthcare, when you do stop working. And let's say you're not yet 65, so you're not eligible for Medicare, you're going to need to come up with a way to bridge the gap of healthcare between when you stop work and you know when you lose employer coverage and when you start Medicare. So maybe you retire at 55. What are you going to do for 10 years for healthcare insurance? So you have to shop around, look at your different options, of which there's a few. Um, you can see if your employer is willing and able to extend you coverage up until Medicare. Now, almost all employers will allow you to extend a year and a half, you know, 18 months through something called COBRA, C-O-B-R-A. It's a, it's a government-sponsored uh, process where employers effectively have to uh, give you the ability to continue to pay yourself, to pay the full freight of your health care, your premiums for 18 months after you stop working. So, But that only typically gets you a year and a half. Again, if you have a 10-year window to bridge, what are you going to do for the other eight and a half years? So the other common options are ACA, the Affordable Care Act which you can find at healthcare.gov. There there could potentially be some subsidies for you if your incomes are within certain ranges. Uh, If you don't go that way, you can go to a private insurance broker and he or she can help you find a policy. There's also uh, health sharing arrangements, typically faith-based. These aren't insurance, but they look and feel like insurance with a lot of key differences. But that's potentially an option uh, to consider. It's outside the scope of this podcast, but point is you have to do the homework of figure out what you think your Healthcare may be and what its cost is going to be. And then when you're 65, you know, you'll sign up for Medicare. And we know current Medicare prices, there's Part B, Part D, Part A, uh, which most people don't have to pay out of pocket for when they're, when they're on it. But you know what those are going to be any given year. Then you have to figure out supplemental additional coverage. For example, there's, there's uh, base Medicare. doesn't cover some very common expenses retirees have. Hearing, vision, dental, podiatry. Uh, I don't believe it covers chiropractic work. So those are all things you may need to factor in on top of your base Medicare premiums. So it would be helpful to shop around with a, uh, you know, a Medicare agent or specialist who can help, help you figure out what's the best combination of base Medicare and supplemental or you know, additional uh, insurance on top of it. And just get the prices for those things. So you can start doing that homework when you get near 65 to see what, uh, what, what, you, what you think those, those expenses may be. Taxes. This is a big one. Now, you, don't, you may not realize it, but... but both while you're working and in retirement, taxes are likely to be the single largest line item of expense you have, you know, more so than your home, potentially, um, commonly more so in healthcare, more so than discretionary expenses. So 
this is a big one. And, and this, it's also a bit of a wild card because we have no idea what the future of tax legislation and tax rates and uh, you know, tax rules are going to be. That's all at the whim of uh, kind of whatever political powers in office at the time, which this can change. It can change materially every, every couple of years. But one starting point is there are online calculators uh, where, you, where you can plug in anticipated income and it'll give you what it expects your taxes will be for those years so that you can, you can do that. Um, another thing to keep in mind, while you're working, whether you, you work for someone else and have wages or you're self-employed, there's going to be what's called FICA tax, F-I-C-A, which I believe stands for Federal Insurance Contribution Act or something. Basically, this is uh, anyone who works, who earns money, pays towards the, the national social security and Medicare systems. Once you stop working, you no longer have earnings, you no longer pay into those things. Well, in most cases, you don't pay into those things. There's some exceptions, but uh, again, kind of beyond the scope of today's podcast. So right off the bat, uh, the, the combined Medicare and Social Security tax you pay as an employee is currently 7.65% of your wages up to some limit that changes every year. Uh, I think it's currently $140,000, $150,000 for uh, 2022. Um, at least the Social Security portion stops at that level. The Medicare portion continues on and actually increases some once you get to, I forget what it is, $200-something thousand dollars of income. But the, but the point is, let's assume your wages are 100 grand, just to pick an even number. You're paying 7.65%. In addition to regular income tax, you're paying 7.65% of that $100,000 as FICA taxes, you know, Social Security, Medicare taxes. All else equal, you retire, you still have $100,000 of income from whatever, 401k, pension, whatever it might be. Your taxes now are 7.65% less, simply because you are no longer paying those FICA taxes. So point is, uh, you know, taxes are going to be difficult to really iron out firm projections. But if nothing else, you know that the payroll tax, the FICA tax will stop once you're no longer employed or self-employed. Um, so that, that's one reduction in taxes to, uh, to keep in mind. So that's how to attempt to uh, come up with a tax expense. And the other sort of big one is, is leisure activities. And this is going to be another wild card. While you're working, especially if it's a very time-consuming job, you may not do a lot of leisure activities. You know, maybe one, perhaps two big vacations a year. Uh, maybe you got some hobbies, woodworking, cycling, knitting, pickleball, I don't know, whatever it is. And they have some expense associated with it. But when you retire, and retire in the you know historical sense of stop working completely, you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. And how are you going to fill it? So be realistic with how much you think you'll travel, spend on leisure activities, spend on going out to eat with friends. Um, when, when you have a lot of time to fill with fun social stuff, you'd be surprised how quickly it can add up in, in filling that time. So be honest with yourself about uh, realistically. Again, this, this will change. Don't worry too much about nailing this down with precision for 30-year projections, but at least come up with a, with a realistic starting point. So I'll leave it there for now with, regarding, uh, you know, with regards to, to predicting your expenses, but uh, you really have to do this. There's no way around coming up with a realistic anticipated expense number because this is this is a starting point without knowing how much you anticipate wanting and needing to spend in retirement you really have no basis for trying to figure out uh, how much money you need to get there so just to recap question one how long do you think you're going to live aka how many years do you think retirement is going to be question two what do you anticipate your expenses or your, your income needs are going to be throughout all of your years of retirement? And, and don't worry too much about inflation. Well, I don't want to say don't worry about inflation, but for purposes of this exercise, we're, th this is just really a back of the envelope process we're doing here. Again, we're predicting out 20, 30 years, if not more. Um, inflation will happen, but as, as we'll touch on towards the end of this, you'll see how inflation is sort of already accounted for. 
um, in this process. So for now, don't, don't get too hung up on, well, I might know what my expenses may be next year, but how about five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, things will change, right? Uh, we're, we're just doing sort of where we sit now, looking forward, trying to come up with a reasonable starting point and using that as kind of the, uh, the litmus test, uh, you know, the, the back of the envelope sanity check here. Question three, what sources of guaranteed lifetime income will you have outside of your savings, outside of your portfolio? So I'm really referring to three different things here. One is social security. Two would be traditional pensions to the extent you have one from your employer. And three would be annuities. If you have an annuity that uh, you're, you're willing and able to potentially turn on uh, and, and turn into a stream of lifetime income at some point. So why do these things matter? Well, at one extreme, uh, if, you only, if you live very modestly, let's assume you're only gonna have, call it $50,000 of expenses per year in retirement and you have social security that's gonna be 30 and a pension that's gonna be 30, you'll have $60,000 of guaranteed monthly income coming in that's already 10,000 bucks more than your $50,000 of expenses. And let's assume those expenses include taxes as well. So even in retirement, you're, you're still saving 10,000 bucks a year. Now that can change as your expenses go up due to inflation or due to spending more. Uh, you know, Chances are your pension isn't going to increase with inflation. Some do, but many don't. Um, Social Security does have an inflation increase mechanism, might not keep up with actual inflation, but nonetheless, they're, they're, uh, m- in most years, there is some sort of positive uh, increase to Social Security benefits. But the point is, if you already have more guaranteed lifetime income coming in from a combination of Social Security pensions and or annuities, and those things more than cover all your expenses, at one extreme, you, you really don't need any other money, right? You don't need a million dollars. Now, uh, you can do other things with that million dollars. You can go on massive vacations or leave it to heirs or whatever. But just day to day, you're already bringing in more than what you need. So again, at that extreme, that person, you can make an argument that that person doesn't need any money to retire because he or she already has or will have healthy social security pension or annuity to cover all of their income needs. That's one extreme. You know, The other extreme is simply you have zero social security pensions or annuities. You're reliant solely on savings, your portfolio, your bank accounts, whatever, to, uh, to fund your retirement. Those are two very, very different scenarios that will result in very, very different answers of how much money you need to retire. Uh, anyway, so you, you add these things up, and let's assume you, know, you have social security and pension, um, and, and that's step three. Now, there's other things you can maybe include. Um, I say maybe because I wouldn't necessarily bank on them, like if you have a lot of equity in your house. You have, I don't know, a million dollar home fully paid for. That equity is sitting there. You know, you, there's, unless you unlock it and monetize it and use it some way, you have a lot of value tied up in your house that, you, that you're not turning into income, you know, not turning into cash flow that you can use throughout retirement. I'm not specifically advocating doing this or not doing this, but there are ways, whether it's a traditional mortgage or a reverse mortgage if you're 62 or older, to, to unlock and use and, and get the financial benefit of some of the equity in your house while you're alive instead of you know, taking all the equity to the grave and passing it on to your heirs. Now, if that's important to you, if you want to leave the home unencumbered to heirs, then by all means do that. You know, do not uh, take equity out. Do not take loans out against the home. But if your priority isn't to leave your house free and clear to your kids or your friends or whomever, then it, it may be worth considering unlocking some of that equity and, and monetizing it through a traditional mortgage or a reverse mortgage. Um, but, but like I said, I'm, I'm reluctant to consider that as uh, a, a, along in this step three as a guaranteed lifetime source of income. 
In the case of a reverse mortgage, it, it may be, or at least it may be more so than a traditional first mortgage, like a home equity line of credit or a regular, uh, you know, 20-year, 15-year, 30-year loan. But nonetheless, it's not necessarily guaranteed. You know, you can potentially default on it, in which case the loan comes due or, you, you know, you get kicked out of your house. So let's not bank on those, at least not to the same extent as Social Security, pensions, or annuities, which uh, once turned on, they, they should be there for the, for the rest of your life. So, so those are the first three. Now, let's put some numbers to this. So let's assume you're going to live uh, approximately 30 years. You're, you know, you're 60, 65, whatever it is, and you figure you're going to live 30 years uh, when you retire. So you're going to have a 30-year retirement, or, or so you, you figure now at least. And your total gross income needs, inclusive of taxes and things, is let's call it $100,000 a year. You're going to have $30,000 in Social Security and assume another $30,000 in a pension. So that's $60,000 of guaranteed lifetime income against which you have $100,000 of total income needs. That's a $40,000 per year deficit. So to put it another way, you need 100,000 of income. You're gonna have 60 coming in from guaranteed lifetime income from pension and social security. You got 40 more you have to get from somewhere. This 40 is what's gonna come from your portfolio, from your savings, uh, potentially from you know, unlocking home equity, or if you have cash value life insurance policy, for example, you, you can pull from there. But let's assume you're just relying, uh, to keep the, keep the analysis simple, for now, just relying on traditional you know, investable assets, IRAs, 401ks, brokerage accounts, cash, you know, cash and bank accounts, CDs, et cetera. So you're going to have $40,000 a year you're going to need to pull, at least in the first year of retirement. You're going to need this $40,000. So with that in mind, how much money do you need to support a $40,000 per year withdrawal, at least a $40,000 uh, withdrawal in the first year, and assume it's going to have to go up over time as inflation happens, how much money do you need to, uh, to, to support that? This is where things get um, hotly debated. And, and again, there, there isn't a, a right exact answer because everyone, no matter what way, shape, or form you're trying to come up with a number here, is to some extent trying to predict the future. And we're all going to be wrong. Maybe we overshoot, maybe we undershoot, who knows, but the future will be different than, than what we uh, try to think it's going to be. So one, one historically good starting point, again, this is hotly questioned, and I'll discuss it briefly, is the 4% rule. Um, I won't get too in the weeds with it now. This is going to be uh, the, the topic next week. So stick around, check out the show next week, where I'll go more in depth about the 4% rule. But basically, there's research that was done in the early 90s uh, about, and looked over, I think, 75 years. It said, if you invested your portfolio in roughly half uh, U.S. stocks and half U.S. bonds and rebalanced every year to keep the, that allocation you know, roughly 50-50, over every rolling 30-year period, so if you started your retirement, I think you know 1920-something was, was uh, the first starting point in this time period. If you started then and retired for 30 years, or if you started in 1930 and, and you know, retired for 30 years, or 1940, 1950, whatever, it looked at all rolling 30-year periods starting with 1920-something, I think. Um, and you had your portfolio invested half stocks, half bonds. How much money can you pull out in the first year and then every year thereafter, increase it by the amount of inflation that year. And based on actual historical results, the, the answer was 4%. Was the, was the worst case. You know, that was the most you can pull out was 4% that first year. Using actual historical data, you know, the most you can pull out was 4%, where even under the worst 30-year scenario, you would not have depleted your portfolio Technically, it was anything faster than 33 years, I believe, were the uh, original findings. So 
if you ha- if you using that as the starting point, four percent. Uh, if you if you need to take out forty thousand dollars in the first year from your portfolio, you would simply divide it by 0.04, which is four percent, and and that will back into the amount of portfolio uh, approximately needed to safely pull out $40,000 the first year and increase that every year for about 30 years with inflation. So again, the math is simply you need 40,000 the first year, divide it by 0.04, that's going to equal $1 million. So to answer the question, how much money do you need, do you need to retire in this scenario where you have uh, about $100,000 of total gross income needs against which you'll have $60,000 of guaranteed lifetime income from social security and pensions, you're going to need to pull 40 out of your portfolio the first year. Divide that by 0.04. million is your answer. Now, lots of caveats to this. This is just a, a guesstimate, right? A, a very, very simple back-of-the-envelope guesstimate. 4% rule, as, as I'll touch more on next week, hotly debated. Many people make, um, in some cases, quite compelling arguments that 4% is too high. Most recently, Morningstar put out research in November of 2021 saying they believe, based on their guesses and assumptions about what stock and bond markets and inflation might do going forward, that 3.3% is now the safe number. You know, sort of the worst case, the most you can pull out even under one of the uh, you know, ugliest of future scenarios and still have a good, uh, you know, a good chance of not running out of portfolio. Is 3.3%. So in our example, if you have 40 grand, you need the first year, you divide it by 3.3% instead of four, you're going to come up with a little over $1.2 million is the amount of portfolio you need now, again, assuming you invest at roughly half stocks and half bonds. So that, that, that's the process. I uh, hope you found it helpful. Again, don't get too hung up on this. Have a starting point, have a sanity check, have, have a, a you know a defensible... Uh, ballpark figure, which is what this process is. This 4% rule is not written in stone. The 3.3% rule is not written in stone. These are all just people's educated guesses. And and the other thing to keep in mind, not that I want you to run out of money, obviously, but even if you did, um, even if you, you know, you use the 4% rule and fast forward, you're 90, you know, you're 25 years into retirement and you exhaust your portfolio, obviously not ideal, but you'd still have your guaranteed lifetime income sources, social security, pension, annuity if you have it. You know, you, you can't outlive these things. So this is part of good financial planning is uh, realizing how much guaranteed income do you want and do you need? Do you want to cover, you know, have enough that at least covers your basic minimum expenses such that if and when your portfolio ever does deplete, you still have money coming in to at least cover the basics. You know, that, that's one approach. Other people who are more conservative are going to want more than that. They're, they're going to want the majority, if not all, of their anticipated expenses covered by guaranteed lifetime income sources, such as Social Security pensions or annuities. Other folks uh, you know, may be gamblers at heart. They may be plenty okay with having most or all of their financial future uh, in the financial markets, stock markets, bond markets, whatever, uh, commodities, crypto assets, you, know, you, you name it. Some people might be okay with that. And for them, that that could be the right answer. Other people who who lose sleep at night, seeing their account statements va- uh, you know fluctuate day to day, month to month, week to week, that's almost certainly absolutely going to be the the wrong answer for them to have all their money invested in the markets. So the the, the right mix, the right answer, how much you need to retire, uh, very different person to person, very reliant on how long your retirement's going to be, what your total uh, anticipated income needs are, and how much guaranteed lifetime income you're already going to have. 
Without knowing those things, you can't attempt to figure out how much money do you need to retire. So that's that. I'll leave that there for now. Hopefully you enjoyed this, found this helpful. Throughout this podcast, throughout the weeks, uh, we'll be breaking down you know, individual inputs into this, such as taxes, home equity, social security, pensions, annuity, Medicare, healthcare expenses, living expenses, et cetera. These are all things that go into good, comprehensive retirement planning. Um, th- this, this discussion today is really sort of the culmination of it. It uh, assumes you already know and understand all of the dozens of inputs that go into it. So that's why I said it's a deceptively tricky question to try to answer. Uh, seemingly uh, simple on the surface, but quite tricky because there's so many moving pieces behind it. But, we'll, but stick with me. We'll get through these various moving pieces uh, as, as this podcast progresses. If you like it, please definitely um, you know subscribe, give a review. If you like this and what you hear, also, uh, I'm confident you'll enjoy my, my other sources of content, the Facebook group, again, Taxes and Retirement, YouTube channel, Retirement Planning Demystified, and a monthly e-newsletter called Retirement Planning Insights. You can see links in the show notes to, uh, to all these things. Hope you enjoy. Well, that's it. It's been a pleasure. Hope you liked it. I will see you next time. The information discussed in this podcast is only general explanations and education. It is not specific tax, legal, or investment advice. Before considering acting on anything you heard here, first consult with your tax, legal, or investment advisor. Thank you. Thank you.